Well, praise God, everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? That was kind of weak. The house of the Lord is where it's at. It's, amen. Amen. Got to speak your language maybe once in a while. Uh, I am very happy to be here. Um, I am, you know, I actually, uh, taking it all in, I haven't been to a youth service in 23 years. Well, maybe here and there, camps and stuff. Um, but I wanted to, uh, you know, I'm just kind of here, and, and I really appreciate, really enjoy how, how relaxed and how simple uh, the atmosphere is. I really appreciate all the testimonies. Uh, very simple. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, it, it, ne- it didn't used to be that way. Um, it used to be a little more structured, you know, guys on the on this side, girls on this side, and I think for the most part it's still like that, and, but it was, you know, you have to be buttoned up. That was back in the days. Um, I, I'm, I'm remembering all this stuff because I am, uh, you know, obviously a little bit advanced in age, and so I want to, uh, I really want to uh, invite you guys to uh, continue being maybe um, relaxed, uh, before God, uh, not not too relaxed. He's holy, but what I mean by that, by being relaxed, is you know sometimes we overcomplicate. Uh, we overcomplicate our relationship with God. We overcomplicate just, you know, especially in our Slavic culture. I don't know. Show of hands, you notice that our liturgy is like top notch. Like our liturgy, like we, we're very, like the song structures and everything that we do. And, and anytime you bring something new in or anytime, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of eyes are just kind of, especially in the older, like my age and older, right? They're like, what are these people doing? What are these younger, younger kids doing? And so, um, but I am here uh, to share a message. And... Um, I want before I go into the into the actual word that God has laid on my heart. I wanna. I've been thinking about a um, an event that took place after Jesus' resurrection, and I wanna. It's it's sort of stuck with me, and and I I don't know. I can't shake the thought. Like I've been thinking about it, and um, I'm gonna read it. Chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, a short passage. There's, you know, if. If you're not paying attention, it's so easy to miss a lot of the details that are, once you start to meditate, they are critical and they are important and they, they actually, they, they place you in a position of being in awe of what God has truly done for us. And so, um, when, this is before I get to the message, I think, I think I got a little bit of time, so we're, we're going to, um. I'm going to read through here. Uh, Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read out of the CSB version. You guys, uh, probably ESV, I think, is the most common one. Um, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at, tomb at sunrise. They were, sta- they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? 
Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, uh, dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because, tremble, uh, because trembling and astonish, astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Since they were afraid. So, you know, a couple of things that I want to point out to you and maybe... You know, when you when you spend time being in God's word and when you're reading and you're meditating, a uh, couple of things I want you to notice. Um, obviously, they have this encounter with the angel. And what happens is uh, the angel tells him, go and he will meet you in Galilee. So real quick, where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem, Right. Do you know what the distance is from Jerusalem to Galilee? 80 miles. Now, I doubt they had Teslas back then or whatever, right? So this was a, they were walking on foot. And so what's interesting to me is that, eh, they did what they had to do. But what's interesting to me is that For whatever reason, you know, Jesus being resurrected at this point, right? We know he could move through walls, right? They're in a room. The doors are locked. They're scared and they're shaking. Boom, Jesus appears. And yet he tells them, go to Galilee, 80 miles away. Why wouldn't you just appear to them here and now? You know, sometimes God not only allows us, but he tells us, he forces us to go through the trouble of discovering him in a new and a fresh way. I guarantee you, in the three days that it took them to get there, assuming they were well prepared, we're not talking freeways, we're not talking, right? They had to traverse through hills and you name it. In the three days, I guarantee you, they were, when they obviously, after seeing the tomb empty, they're walking to Galilee. They're probably, you know, speed walking to Galilee, if not running. I guarantee you, they're thinking the entire time. No way. No way. Really? Is he really alive? Is he really alive? And they have this hope because they lost hope. At that point, there is no hope. Even, even the writer, even Mark says here, go tell disciples and Peter. I mean, was Peter not a disciple? I mean, we know Peter was a disciple. But I guarantee you, after betraying Jesus, that was the last he saw him. I guarantee you, he thought he wasn't a disciple. Maybe even Mary Magdalene thought he wasn't a disciple. 
because he tells Mary, this angel tells Mary, go tell disciples and Peter. Maybe she had a thought in the back of her mind that, I don't know about Peter. Anyway, this is just something that I, the, a, kind of a short in, uh, intro to, to, not even an intro. This is just a, a complete departure from what I'm going to talk about today. But I think here's, here's my point in, in reading this particular scripture. Unless you meditate on God's word, unless you actually dig in and you prayerfully read God's word and you beg God, you ask him to reveal himself to you, it is so easy to just kind of glaze over things that have been read a million times from this pulpit and miss the details, the details that matter. Put yourself in the shoes of those disciples that had to go 80 miles who, are, who had no hope at that point. They didn't know Jesus was alive. Mary told them that he wasn't, the tomb was empty. That's all she knew at that point. And they were going, they were just, that's the only thing they had to hold on to is just this thread of hope that Jesus might meet them in Galilee. So, um, this is sort of the, the, uh, a, a small departure, and I want to, you know, what I'm going to talk about today is the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I am not a very gifted spe speaker. Uh, I am, uh, I, I don't feel confident, uh, you know, on stage. I don't, I mean, I love singing. I sing. That's where I'm, you know, this, I'm in the zone when I'm singing. But preaching is, not, is, is difficult for me. And so because I am not really capable, not able to really convey the message that God has laid on my heart, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit that convey, uh, put this message on my heart, because I'm unable to really say it the way it should be said, because, let's be honest, it's very difficult to, you know, my attention span is terrible sometimes. Andre was speaking, and I just zoned out for like a split second, and I missed the most important part he was talking about. And then, and then I kind of, you know, caught, the, uh, uh, you know, the remainder of it, and I understood. But the point is, because, because we're, we're kind of, we're fallen, we're, we're, we, we struggle, uh, I would like, if you don't mind, uh, well, I want to do two things. I want to get some of the people to move forward, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Can we, can we just stand and ask God to, we'll pray so that God blesses his word, and then, and then during that time, can you just move forward, please? Just a couple of rows forward so I can see your faces. You're not hiding behind us. Jesus, we glorify your name. We thank you for this day, for this evening, for this opportunity to be in the house of the Lord, to be amongst his people, to be um, as part of your body. God, we know that you've prepared a table for us. Uh, I want to be sure that the, the things I'm going to speak about today, the word I'm going to say, that it's uh, Holy Spirit, that it's anointed, um, and I may not be uh, really in the best position to do this, but I know that Jesus, you can take the the you know my weak mind and my and my mouth, and you can really take the 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 real gem that each person, each soul here needs to hear, and you can implant implant it into their soul, so that as they go about their life, maybe you know several days later. A week later, 
months, maybe years down the road, there is going to be some detail from today's word that they will remember and they will worship you and praise you and it will help them in their time of need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You and me all be seated. I want to speak on the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I was, um, you know, I, we try to attend youth camp, specifically the prayers, and um, I noticed that every time that we do have an opportunity that the actual prayer, the, the service, is probably m more so of a blessing to me personally than maybe even you. You know, we show up for you, to bless you, to somehow to encourage you, to support you. But I walk away each time um, just at God's grace and mercy and, and the love that he shows me. And sometimes he'll answer um, me in a, in, a, in a very unusual way. And so I want to, um, I want to get into... Um, why it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, as I read this passage a few minutes ago, you know, the disciples were seeking answers. I think it's safe to say that they were probably seeking answers. They didn't know what was going on, right? Especially on their walk, I can imagine that. They were looking for answers. But what I can say from my personal testimony and from my life is that Answers will never satisfy. You know, you will torment yourself trying to rationalize, you know, this or that, and, and eventually the answer that you will arrive at for whatever problem you might be experiencing, but the answer that you will arrive at will not satisfy you. You will get the answer, but you won't have the peace. And what I find is that rather than looking for the answer, if we look for the person, for the person of Jesus Christ, for the person of God the Father, for the person of the Holy Spirit, that's really when a thousand different answers just fall away. They don't matter anymore. The questions don't matter. Everything else sort of starts to fade into obscurity. And so, one of the questions that I was struggling with um, uh, or meditating on is, what is my goal? Uh, and I think every person, you're all here now. You're, 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 you're in real time. This is as real time as it gets. And I, you know, I was thinking, uh, during one of the church services, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, what, is, uh, what does God want from me? What is my goal as a Christian? Assuming I'm Christian, right? I don't mean my purpose on this earth as a human being. I, we know what that is, right? Do you remember Paul's sermon on Mars Hill? Uh, Acts chapter 17. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. You know, that's what I would call a general purpose for your existence. To perhaps, to quote the author, perhaps feel your way toward him. In other words, in God's infinite wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, having looked through hallways and corridors of time, to maximize your and my chance of feeling our way and finding him, God established a specific time, family, even the geographical location for your and my existence. Why do I live today and not in 1318? Or 42, B, uh, 42 AD. I mean, I, I understand how this, because my parents got married. That's the sort of the traditional answer. No, it's not just that. God specifically determined a time and a place for your and my existence so that so as to maximize the chance for you and me in finding him. So that you get the maximum grace during this particular time. Because had you been born 200 years ago, or 30 years ago, or right? You would have never, we don't know where you would have been born. To which family? But God willed it for you and me to discover him. Now, assuming you felt your way toward him, assuming you found your way toward God, what's next? In the words of Joel Osteen, living your best life now? Or what's, what's next? What are we... What exactly does God want from me? Now that I found him, now that I know him, and you, assuming you know him, assuming you've come to him in repentance, and he's, he, he brought you in, and even if, even if you haven't been there yet, we'll get to the next point. But what do you do once you become a Christian? If I truly believe that God brought me into his family, and I am now adopted into his family, I believe. Apostle Paul in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he answers that question, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That is the goal of what we are after. Let me read that again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 
That is the reason why you and I are Christians. To know God with increasing intimacy from day to day. Can somebody say amen? In other words, it is not good enough to simply have come to know God once and be satisfied and be done and be okay. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. How, how does he accomplish this? How? How does God actually walk with you? Or how do you walk with God? Is there an instrument for this sort of thing? Or by what method or schedule or device can I know God intimately with an increasing level of intimacy? It's not a thing. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Through the person of the Holy Spirit, that is the only way. He is the only one who can reveal Jesus Christ and God the Father to us. And that's how we can walk in increasing level of intim intimacy. Now, how do you get there? You know, I was thinking about what does it look like for me personally to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I get there? I mean, I'll be honest. It's not, it's not easy often. I live my life just like all of you live your life. I mean, we go to work. You got school. You've got all these distractions right? You know, there is this belief that the devil wants you and me in despair. Do you understand? The, you guys, show of hands, do you guys know what that word means? Despair. There's, there's desperation. I'm not going to use that term. Desperation is, is a temporary emotion I would say despair is a is a posture despair is a posture or it is a state in which you are a, I would say a perpetual state I don't am I using big words a constant state a, a, a position that you are constantly in and the devil I believe doesn't want us in despair he doesn't want you and me in despair. Because the likelihood of you and me being in despair is we're going to run to God. We're going to run to church, at least based on our upbringing and based on what we have. Right? We're placed in the perfect environment. All you got to do is obey your parents, come to church, love God, serve. Right? So... Chances are, if you are in despair, you are going to run to God. 
So I believe the enemy of our souls, he does not want you and me in despair. I think the enemy wants me and you distracted by a million things that never mattered. For what reason? So that you don't, so that you never have a chance of discovering that which does. He's going to place obstacles in my way and your way. And I want to say that in your brokenness, in your despair, that's where Holy Spirit finds you. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching, and he says the following words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted, the reviled. Tell me that's not despair. These are, that's a picture of a person who doesn't have a whole lot of hope. But you know what? Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed. He doesn't say blessed are those who are cool, who know what they're doing. I believe that when you are in despair, when I am in despair, that we are actually within footsteps of God's kingdom. You're within its reach. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And like any other person, he cannot be known in a single encounter. You and I, we are to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That means that we have to embrace despair. Now, Unless the Holy Spirit really reveals to you what that means, it is difficult to understand. But my, the point I'm trying to make is the posture, the spiritual posture that you and I need to have needs to be of a contrite spirit, needs to be of a broken spirit. We need to be those poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty. If I'm a know-it-all, if I find my own way, if I can figure things out for myself, I'm not in despair. I don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm not inviting him. There is no room for him. That plus a million distractions there's no room for him. So again, I'm going to repeat that the Holy Spirit is a person. And as any other person, he cannot be known in a single encounter. 
you and I, we have to cultivate the Holy Spirit. And if we fail to commit to a regular pursuit and intercourse with the Holy Spirit, we will be the kind of people that Paul prophetically writes about to Timothy in. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Notice, he's not writing this to the world. He's talking about the church. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But understand this, in the last days, that's our days, there will come times of difficulty. And he names all the different people, all the different character traits of the people that will be today. And then he concludes in verse 5 that they will have the appearance of godliness. That could be, he's talking about the people in the church. He's talking about people like you and me. We will have the appearance of godliness. But we will deny its power. You know, I, there is one antidote against, one of the things I catch about my, my own inner being, my own self, is I find too often that I gravitate towards preachers, um, towards preachers and authors that I read that kind of make me feel good about myself. You know, and that's really the theme today. You look around and reading some of these authors and listening to, to a lot of the preaching, you know, I've been tempted to feel good about myself. But there are a few authors, there are a few preachers that when you listen to them, it's kind of like asking for a, 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 a much-needed slap in the face, you know, to set you straight. And what I notice is that when I do the opposite, when I, when I go before God and I have the contrite spirit and I seek out and I seek out the gospel. I seek out those preachers, those authors that bring me back to the cross. I change. Little by little, I change. And the Holy Spirit begins to do a work, a wondrous work in my heart. I can't simply just read the Bible and change. There is nothing in here. It's just letters in the book. What enables this book to be useful in my life, to change me, is that if the whole is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings these words to life in my heart. And then I am able to live what's in here out. One of the things that kind of stuck with me. Uh, uh, I forget what's your name. The gentleman he was, you were sharing your testimony, and he, uh, what did he say? Jesus loves you, or something like that. You know those simple words. I mean, it's not much of a testimony, right? Jesus loves you. 
I mean, is that really that big of a deal? Saying something like that? I mean, it's hard to say it when you're in the moment, but really, it's not a big deal. But you know what makes those words powerful? The person who says those words, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside that person, and that person has a regular, ongoing communion with the Holy Spirit in his private life, you're in the car driving, you're, you're in your bed. Sometimes I find myself waking up early in the morning. I don't know why. I, wanna, I still want to sleep. And I have a prayer inside of me. Because I am searched. The Holy Spirit is, I believe, ministering. At that point, ministering to me. He is ministering to my soul. I don't even know about it. I'm, I'm sleeping. But I'm waking up because the Spirit inside of me is praying. I want to say this. If you and I, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we understand how badly we need the Holy Spirit, there are several preconditions. There has to be a disturbance to your and my ego, to the old Adamic man. You and I, in our flesh, we are just like Adam. And the Holy Spirit cannot coexist with the spirit of self, with the spirit of me, with my flesh, with what I want. The Holy Spirit aims to reign unchallenged in your kingdom. He wants to be the captain of your vessel and my vessel. Before the Holy Spirit can live inside of you, the precondition is that you have to give up your right to self. I don't know if you guys know this story, but it's a famous one in the Bible where King Saul was anointed king. According to the writer of, of Kings, he was glorious in stature. He looked, he was taller than everybody else. He was this mighty man. He seemed humble at first. He was hiding. And so Samuel, God told Samuel to anoint him. He anointed Saul. But it didn't take long for Saul to lose his way. And there's a section in the Bible in the... First King, First Samuel, chapter fifteen, verse one through thirty-three. This is what it says. And Samuel said to Saul, "Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts: I have noted that Amalek, is it Amalek or Amalek? I don't know." I read the Bible in Russian. So. Uh, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men and women, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And then I'm going to skip forward. 
the story goes like this. Saul wanted to leave a little bit. He destroyed everything except for he took the king and the best of their sheep and, and all the goodies. And Samuel, God tells Samuel, different, different, Samuel's in a different place. God tells Samuel to go and understand and see for himself what Saul had done, what Saul had done. And so Samuel shows up, says Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amal Amalekites for the... For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. He left Israel's biggest enemy. God said, destroy them all. Amalek and Agag, the king of Amalekites, they are a type of flesh. They are a type of Adam in your and my life. And in order to allow for one king in your heart and mine, the only way, the only way that the Holy Spirit can live inside of me is that, that I don't consult my flesh. That I once and for all, I rid myself of all the things that challenge God's presence in, my, presence in my heart. You know, most of the world's great souls have been lonely. You know, Enoch, he was one of such people. The scriptures don't really shed light on a lot of Enoch's life. But a little imagination we know that he walked the path that was said to be strange to the path of everybody else. And what did God do? He took him up. But there are many people like him. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Hebrews 11 goes into a lot of detail about this. All these men, they wrestled with God. Can I ask you all to stand? In 2005, um, I thought I was a Christian. I was married. Angelica was a week from being born. Um, I was at, I was visiting with my wife a youth camp. And 
we were just praying at one location. Um, the, all the ladies, all the sisters, they were in, in one spot with, with somebody else, and all the, all the guys, all the brothers were in a different spot. And we were just praying. And God raises up a, a man who knew nothing about me. And God, and this man starts prophesying. And I was, up until then, I was, I considered myself a Christian, a struggling Christian, but a Christian nonetheless. And then this man was going pretty much to everybody, and he was laying hands on every man that was there. And I didn't escape his laying of hands. I was hoping the entire time that he would bypass me. And he laid his hands on me. And he told me, he revealed to me that I was walking in disobedience with God. And he said, he concluded with this statement. He said it in Russian, I'll translate it. He said, whatever is burdening you, if you reveal it, I will give you freedom to roam. At the time, I thought it was a strange thing to hear. Freedom to roam. I didn't waste any time. This, right after that service, I went and I repented and I confessed and I cried and I wept before God. And I can tell you that I have had freedom to roam. I have had freedom to roam in God's kingdom. Because when I got the gift of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit began to roam free in me, I was not the same person anymore. What I noticed about my life that was different was that I didn't have peace. And I welcomed that. You know why I didn't have peace? Now, I'm not talking about the peace of God. I'm talking about the peace where before, if I would sin, whatever. But after God spoke to me, after he changed my life, in 2005, in July of 2005. Every transgression or when I walk in disobedience to God, I can't sleep at night. He sets me straight. The second I try to think highly of myself, he puts me flat on my back. That is exactly how I want it to be. But the only reason why the Holy Spirit roams free in me and I in him is because there has to be this anxiety for God. You and I, we have to have a burden for the things of God, a burden for holiness. Don't run away from distress. 
don't ever settle for cheap imitations of his manifest presence. You must first deal with Agag. You've got to deal with your flesh. You've got to get rid of Adam. Oh, he's going to hide. Adam always wants to hide. When you sin, you want to hide. I want to hide. That's our natural instinct. Don't give him an inch. Let him scorn. Don't compromise. Expose his selfish ways. He wants to hide every single time. Don't let him. And when you finally deal with your flesh and you allow God's spirit to become king of your life, he will. You will roam free. The spirit will move in you. And the simple words, Jesus loves you, they will be life-changing to the person that hears them. And when his kingdom is in you, you know that his king, against his kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail. So tonight, I want to invite anyone who's maybe heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. There is no way around exposing. I understand. People look at you, but you're dealing with God. It is you and God. He hung there on the cross, exposed for all to see. And he did it unashamedly for you and me. He was mocked and he was ridiculed on our behalf. We don't belong to sin and sin doesn't belong to us. We're going to pray. And if anyone wants to reconcile with his Savior, if anyone wants the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them, to roam free, you're welcome. You're welcome here.